We're in Rogue One. Rogue One, as you guys have already seen and uh, already heard, we, uh, we do movies throughout the summer. Normally, we do the summer blockbusters, but I saw it back in December, thanks to the Lawsons. They did it for Pastor Appreciation, and they uh, bought tickets for me and my boys to be able to go and watch it. And um, we went, and uh, the whole time I was watching it, just one quote after another, after another, after another, we're like, that's sermon material. That'll preach. That'll preach. Every single one of them, I'm like, all right, we're going to do a mini at the movies in January just for this one movie. We're going we're gonna to do that. And I said, no, no. I'm going to wait till the summer. We're going to have some fun with it. We're going to do it on Father's Day. So here we are. The prequel, the setup for the fourth movie, which was called, I can't remember, Mike, if you said it, but it's called A New Hope. And that's what this whole movie revolves around. It's hope. The hope that is in the rebellion. And we look at it and we dive into it today. Like I said, there's a whole bunch of things that I said that will work for a message but there was two quotes that stood out that actually tied together very well that I'm looking forward to talking about today. The first one is actually said by a guy by the name Churret, and that's uh, the action figure that Mike took for, uh, for going for uh, winning out uh, on, the, uh, on the root beer chug. He, uh, he is talking to Captain Cassian, and Cassian is a captain in the, the rebel fleet. And he's talking to him, and he says this, as they're standing in a prison, they've been captured by Saw, Guerrero's uh, uh, team, and as he's in there, he turns to him, and he's sitting in the prison, he says this, there's more than one prison. I think you carry yours wherever you go. And I start thinking about that, and as you let that even just sink in for just a second, I want to tell you about the next quote that, that really ties into it, and I believe it progressed and ties in the whole movie together, maybe even the entire Star Wars series. And the next quote is the one you saw during the video. It was actually said twice. The first time is when they're in the market, and you saw all the, all the shooting going on, and uh, uh, um, Cassian turns to Jyn Erso, and he says, rebellions are built on hope. And later in the movie, she uses the same quote. She's approaching and talking to the entire group of rebellion leaders to say, what chance do we have? What hope do we have? All we have is hope. And she says, rebellions are built on hope. And so as I look at these two things, there's, there's one other quote that I was really kicking around, and I might actually use it another time because it was just great the way it said. It was when uh, um, uh, Cassian was talking to Jen Erson, and he says to her, we don't all have the luxury of deciding when and where we want to care about something. And I'm like, hmm, that, that's yeah, that'll get me all fired up and ready to go too. So, so we'll, uh, we'll talk about that one another time. But what I want to do is I want to look at these other two quotes and how they tie together, how they work together, and how they work in our lives, even as Christians. So as we dive into it, what I'd like to do is I'd like to take a look at this real quick. And it says this, there's more than one prison. I think you carry yours wherever you go. See, I think that quote could probably come almost straight from the Bible itself. Because when we look at it, we look at the things that we carry around in our lives that, that imprison us. And think about the things in your lives that, that, that cause a, a prison to come upon you. It doesn't mean walls. It doesn't mean bars. It doesn't mean any of those kind of things like that. But when we look at it, think about addictions that we have and how they imprison us. Think about things that, that keep us in bondage like debt or regret or anger or unforgiveness or bitterness. All these things that we can think about. Think about as being Father's Day. Maybe there's something your dad did to you that holds you captive. Maybe there's something your dad didn't do for you that holds you captive. We have prisons that we take with us wherever we go. And it's a stronghold that keeps us from doing 
anything. It's something that locks us down. And as I heard that in the line, I think about in Christianity, it's so often for that. And I believe that if you want to tie it all together, that the Bible really ties it all together with one word. And it's sin. It's the sin of ourselves. But the great thing is, is that it says in Galatians 3.22, but the scripture declares that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. So when we stop and we think about that, we think about this in in a way that, that it really opens our eyes to say, we have a freedom, we have a hope in Jesus Christ that frees us from what we deal with on a daily basis. We have a freedom that that sin that we have that locks us down. And that actually, I think, leads to the second quote where it says, rebellions are built on hope. See, I think you could argue that this, like I said before, is the cornerstone of the entire movie. Maybe even the entire movie series. Of all the Star Wars, that rebellions are built on hope. When you, when you think about the concept of hope, you think about the rebellion, you think about Star Wars. I'm, there's only a handful of people I've met in my life that have not watched Star Wars. I pray for those people. Um, but in reality, most of us have seen it. Most of us have experienced it. Most of us kind of know where it's going. And through it all, the rebellion has not got the odds stacked in its favor. They don't expect success. Hope was everything they have. When we think about the hope of the world, the hope that we have, in John 12, 31, it actually tells us the world is ruled by an enemy power. It tells us that at this point in time, that God is, while over it, is not ruling this world, but one day will come to rule. And when we think about that, that is the hope that we have. And I think about when we have the odds stacked in our favor. And, you know, we have some fun. I, I, I like to, to, to do some things like a root beer chug. I like to do some things and just, just have a little bit of fun with things like that. But imagine if the, the world was putting together something like this. It would look so much better. Let's just be really honest about it. If they were having a Star Wars party, it would be rocking way more than we have. Because when we look at it, we have the odds stacked in our fi- favor, or not in our favor. We have things like less money. We don't have as much power. We don't have as much influence. We don't have it. And we look at that, we say, man, what can the church possibly do? How can we be the ones who have hope to rebel against the culture that is out there? And that's a hard thing to think about. And I think that's why hope matters. And that's why I think in Revelation 21 and 22, it paints a picture of what's to come and the hope that we have. It's an amazing thing to hold on to. And as we see these things tied together, I believe that hope brings freedom from the prisons that we take wherever we go. That hope brings freedom. And that's a freedom that we need. So what I want to do is I want to expand with two questions. And the two questions this morning are this. is What is your prison and what is your hope? What is your prison and what is your hope? What is it that is holding you back? What is it that's keeping you from being able to do all the things that God has called you to do, that he wants you to do, and what is it that can set you free? And which one are we focused on? Where are our eyes at? This week I, I drove to, uh, to Arizona, like I said, we, we were out there and uh, we had left on Sunday, and we were a little bit ahead of schedule for getting Cam to the camp that he had to go to in Flagstaff. And we happened to be going through Winslow, Arizona. And as we were going through Winslow, Arizona, only two things remind me of Winslow, Arizona. There are two songs, yes. 
That's it. That's all Winslow is known for in my book. One song is Route 66, Winslow, Arizona, Don't Forget Winona. And then the other song is, is by the Eagles, Take It Easy. I was standing on the corner of Winslow, Arizona, such a fine sight to see. It's a girl, my Lord, in a flatbed Ford, slowing down to take a look at me. I'm singing that in my head because I wasn't always a Christian. And so um, I, I was singing that in my head and kind of, you know, sometimes we have songs in our head that come out of our mouth. And Cam's like, what are you singing? And I said, oh, it's the Eagles, take it easy. He's like, what? And I went, I failed. Father's Day's, Father's Day's coming up and that's a dad fail right there. This, this is a song you should know. I said, that's what Winslow is known for. I said, there's actually a corner in Winslow, Arizona they have set up to be the corner with a flatbed Ford and all the things that you have where it has a little standing on the corners, Route 66, all the cool stuff. He's like, so? So I had to look it up on Amazon Prime real quick. I pulled it up. We played it in the car, and they're like, oh, this is a good song. We should stop. And I'm like, we were going to stop anyway, but okay, let's, let's do that. Let's stop. So we pull up, and we stop, and we're hanging out, and we're having a good time. But as I was there, I started thinking about my message and thinking about the Eagles because there's another song that the Eagles sing that really fits in with all of this with the prison. And maybe you've heard a song called Hotel California. Maybe. I don't know. If you haven't, it's okay. Uh, once again, we'll pray for you. But in it, the, the whole idea of Hotel California is there's a line in there that says, we're all just prisoners here. What? Okay, so you have heard the song, of our own device. And when it says of our own device, what it is saying is that we have created this prison. We are all part of it. Our project or our scheme that it's designed to deceive. That's what a device is. And when we look at that, we say, man, that's us. And now we've had a root beer chug. Now we've had beef jerky. Now we're playing all kinds of Eagles music in our heads. Welcome to church, everybody. And, uh, you know, so, so we're, we're looking at this and we see, man, what, what is it that holds us back? I mean, Glenn Fry knew it when he was writing the song. It's us. It's, it's the excess of materialism. That's what they said they wrote the song for. But what is excess of materialism all about? It's all about me. It's all about my selfishness. It's all about my desire to look inside myself. It's all about this. And when I look at that, I say, mm, how do we break that? How do we take this and move it in the right direction? And I look at that and I say, man, maybe Jesus has something to say about it. If you look at John chapter 8, he does. He's talking to the Pharisees, and it says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, and he's talking to these, these Jewish believers as well, and the Pharisees are nearby, and he says, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We've heard that a time or two, haven't we? And they answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we will become free? And guess what Jesus says in return? Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. It is what imprisons us. It is what locks us down. It is what it is in our lives. We are imprisoned by it. And guess what? Paul. Paul writes about it too. The Apostle Paul, who many think was probably one of the greatest followers of Christ ever, he struggled with sin and the imprisoning effects that it had in his life. And if you look throughout the book of Romans, the first 11 chapters is like this this low point to a high point, to a low point to a high point, to a low point to a high point of, of how sin affects his life. And one of the low points that you find is in chapter 7. And I want to read for you what it says about the, the prisons that are there and the hopes that can come with it. It says this in verse 14 of chapter 7. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want 
but I do the very thing that I hate. Anybody up in here guilty of that? Isn't that a prison that we hold on to? Say, God, I just want to serve you. I just want to do this, but there's this flesh inside of me that is doing the exact opposite. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, that is good. So now it is no longer who I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Oh, those are powerful words. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Does it sound like he's imprisoned? Does it sound like there's a battle going on inside of his head? Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being, but I see my members, another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There's a battle. An imprisoning battle that's going on. And this is Paul, like I said, one of the greatest followers of Christ that many believe might be one of the greatest apostles of them all. And we read his stories and we see this, but this is what he's struggling with. And I see that the fact it is, is that it's this, this creeping in of self. How can I do it? How can I do it? But it's not about us and it's not about what we can do. It's about what Christ already did. It's when we shifted that focus that it helps us. Paul writes to the church at Colossae the same thing. He's telling them they're struggling. The whole letter of Colossians that he's written to them is their struggle with false teaching. Their struggle with, it's about me. Their struggle with, I can do this on my own. And he's trying to point them back to Jesus. If you have your Bibles, you can see in the book of Colossians, in the letter of Colossians, the second chapter, this slow decline that is taking place. And I emphasize the word slow decline because it never happens fast. It never, it's just one of those things that we're just imprisoned by our thoughts. It's this constant steps that cause this battle. So what I want to do this morning in particular is look at this battle that we have. Look at the steps and how we can have hope to break free from this prison. So if you do have your Bibles with you today, I'd love for you to be in Colossians chapter 2. And we're going to read the entire chapter. We're going to break it down. There's five steps in this slow decline that really rob our freedom and cause us to be imprisoned. So if you would follow along with me, it says this. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. And for those in Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding the knowledge of God's mystery which is Christ. So he's saying right up front, here is the hope. Here it is. So verse 3 says, In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. And, I, and I, this week while I was at the Southern Baptist Convention, they, they released recently a new translation of the Bible called the CSB. It's the Christian Standard Bible. And I was thumbing through it and kind of reading it, and they gave us a free one. So I started reading through it and kind of seeing what it says. And I liked what it said, actually, for this verse. It said, I am saying this is that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. When we look at the first step away from freedom and into bondage, the first thing is, is deception or delusion. Deception or delusion. Paul talks about Christ in whom all the treasures of wisdom are hidden. All the knowledge is hidden. We need to be there. But 
we hear things all the time, and maybe you hear things all the time too, that really do sound good. You know what the biggest struggle with deception is? It's deceiving. It, it sounds good. I mean, if I say it out loud, it sounds all right, so I'm just going to kind of go with that. I know what God says. I know where the truth is. It says if I abide in Him, the truth will set me free. But there's this deception and this delusion that I'm being fed by everywhere else that sounds good. And so I'm going to take that and I'm going to run with that. And as I do, it begins to cause me to lose sight of the truth. And that deception causes me to move on. That's why he says in verse 5, For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. I want to see that you're still in that hope. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in Him, abide in Him, be in His truth, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And then he switches again to step 2. See that it, no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elements of the spiritual world, and not according to Christ. Step two into bondage. Step two into captivity, or is captivity. So first you have the delusion or the, or the deception, and that leads to captivity. See, Paul says our lives should be established in Christ, and he says, see that no one takes you captive by this empty philosophy. And how often do we have this empty deceit? The pseudo-truth that seems plausible becomes universally accepted and then backed up by human traditions. Isn't, isn't that the world that we live in? Isn't that the struggle within the church to say, but I think it's okay because the world says it's okay. And then we look at God's word and we try and justify it or tweak it or do whatever we want to do. Or we find a verse that might fit what we want instead of looking at an entire passage. We're really good at that. And that deception becomes captivity and we're captive to that thought. Because doesn't all of our bondage start in our mind? Isn't everything we do start with what we think? And you know, a lot of times we believe what we think instead of believing the truth. And then it leads to verse 9. It says, for in him, for in him, for in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Remember, we have to look at him. And have been, you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. What if we based everything off of Jesus? Would our actions change? Would our thoughts change? In him you've also been circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, which you were also raised with him through the faith and the power of a working God who raised him from the dead. Those are powerful words. Those are strong encouragements to be in him. And it says, and you who were dead in your trespasses, you once were, and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made you alive. You once were dead, now you're alive. Together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us. Isn't that what we hold on to? Isn't that the bondage? By looking at what we've done. Oh, I can't do this for God because I used to. You know what? That's all been wiped away. That record of debt that stood against us with legal demands. He set it aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, step three, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink, or with regards to festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. See, the the third step here is from deception to captivity to condemnation. Don't let anybody condemn you. Don't let anybody pass judgment on you. Don't let anybody do these things by saying, hey, isn't this what you're supposed to do? Now, he's talking about the spiritual 
laws that we have to follow. This is what you have to do. This is what you have to do. This is what you have to do. But we do it to ourselves, don't we? We, we build ourselves up to say, this is what I have to do. And then when we fail, what do we do? When we say, I have to be this person, and then we fail, how do we respond? Well, generally we respond by saying, well, I'm just worthless. God can't possibly love me. I can't do that because I've made such a mistake. Well, tell you what, everybody in this room has also made mistakes. There's not one in this room that is perfect. There's not one in this room that is clean. There's not one in this room without a past. But a lot of times we say, well, I can't do that. And we condemn ourselves or we allow other people to condemn us. And that moves from there into the fourth thing. In verse 17, it says, there are shadows. I'm sorry, these are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Or in some translations it says, but the substance is Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism. And the worship of angels going on in the detail about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind. It says, no, no one disqualify you. That's step four. Disqualification. As soon as we're condemned, we feel like we can't do it. We disqualify ourselves. And it says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism. Which means, if you fail to make the cut. And that means asceticism is the idea of, I have to be boring. I can't have any fun. If I have a smile on my face, obviously I've sinned against God, and I have to just beat myself up. And, and, and maybe you've walked into a church like that. Maybe you experienced that before. Man, that stinks. That stinks. God is not a boring God. He loves us. He wants us to have a full life. A life in Him. And a lot of times we disqualify ourselves, say, you know what? I can't do it. I can't succeed. I can't do this on my own. You're right, you can't. And that's why we stop focusing on ourselves and we focus on Jesus who already did it. And that leads to verse 19. And not holding fast to the head. Who are you holding on to? Are we holding on to the head, capital H, head being Jesus? Or are we holding on to something on our own? From whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? Number five, what dictates? What's the dictation in your life? Who is your dictator? Who is the one telling you what to do? Are you listening to what Jesus has to say? Are you believing in what he has to say? Are you letting the, the world dictate your actions? Because see, each one of those is steps away from freedom in Christ to bondage to ourselves, bondage to our own prisons, to go from the deception all the way to who's dictating who we, what we do and who we are. Are we still listening? You know, it even goes on to say, these regulations that he's talking about, don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. There's all these rules that you're not supposed to do if, if you want to be a good Christian. He's trying to say this to the Colossians and say, guys, focus on Jesus, not the man-made rules. He's referring to the things that all perish as they are used according to the human precepts and teachings. These have indeed had an appearance of wisdom promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But they are of what? What are those two words there? No value. Hold on to that. They are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. The rules that we want to follow do not keep us from indulging in our sinful desires. What keeps us from indulging in our sinful desires is focusing on Jesus. 
How often do we focus on Jesus? That is the hope. That is what we hold on to. We can't do it on our own. And when we try to do it on our own, we imprison ourselves. Colossians 2 is a reminder of it. Romans 7 that we read is a reminder of it. But the great thing, like I said, there's peaks and there's valleys. I read you Romans 7, which is a valley, right after it. Romans 8. Listen to these first two verses. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Oh, that's good. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Just a few verses before, he's like, this wretched man, this guy, who's going to release me from this body of death? And just two verses later, he says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He has set you free. There's hope. There is hope. Colossians 3. Here's more. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. Shift your focus. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is in your life, appears, then you will also appear in him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. All the things that are going to hold you prisoner. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you once walked. Once, not now. When you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Do you hear what he's saying here? Do you hear the, 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 the peak that is coming to where we put our focus? Here, There is not a Greek or a Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God chooses chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if you have a complaint against it, forgive each other. And it goes on and it just continues to point us in the direction of where to go. This is our hope. We have prisons. We focus on ourselves. We are locked into ourselves. But he says, here is the hope. And that hope, guess what? It builds a rebellion. What is it that we are rebelling against? What is it that we can say? Rebellions are built on hope. What's the thing that we're rebelling against? We're rebelling against the, the, the prince of this world. And the thoughts that he's put into our head, the enemy says, everything is about you. You know why he says that? Because he said at the very beginning, if you look in the book of Isaiah and it shows where Satan fell and became who he is, it's because he says, I want the glory. I don't want God to have the glory. So guess what he's doing? He's doing it to you. He tried to do it to Jesus when he tempted in the desert in the book of Matthew. He says, this is what I want. You take the glory. Don't give the glory to God. That's what he wants. So if we're about us and we're not giving glory to God, he wins, at least in our lives. And we're imprisoned by that. We're imprisoned by it. We see it. And he says, you know, I'm going to make it easy on you, though. Because we live a pretty comfortable life. Let's just, let's just be really honest. We live in a life that, that as long as we kind of focus inward, everything seems to be pretty okay. My religion is okay. My walk with God, eh, it's all right, but at least it's on my terms. We do it with Church. When we hear a message, it might be a little stinging. We're like, well, maybe I shouldn't go there. I want to kind of go to the, uh, the light church. I found this car- cartoon. I thought this was great. Check out what it says. 24 fewer commitments, home of the seven and a half 
10% tithe, 15-minute sermons. Yeah, right. 45-minute worship services. We only have eight commandments, and they're your choice. We use just three spiritual laws and have an 800-year millennium. Everything you want in a church and less. Isn't that kind of our thinking sometimes? We just want a little bit less from church. We don't want the challenge that's going to come down from it. And then this one here that I love, the donut church, light, fluffy, and sugar-coated. Not going to get it here. I apologize. I can point you in the direction. I know some churches that are that way. I bet you can find them on your own too. But the thing is, as we look at this, Christ didn't come for that. He came to give us life and life to the fullest. And he wants us to be the ones who rebel. So a matter of fact, he wants us to be like Acts chapter 17, where it says they turned the world upside down. Let me just read for you really quick on this one. It says, and some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of them uh, of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble. They formed a mob, set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find him, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, guess what? These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason received them, and they're acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, and his name is Jesus. Turn the world upside down. We have another king, and it is Jesus. It is not you. It is not me. It is not this church. It is Jesus. He is our king. Sounds rebellious to turn the world upside down, doesn't it? Well, guess what rebellions are built on? Hope. Knowing that Jesus is our king. That he is who he says he is, and that he will do what he says he's going to do. When we look at hope, it's not the, I hope I'm going to get, that wishy-washy kind of hope. This is a dangerous hope. This is a Christian hope that is built in confident expectation that Jesus is who he says he is. And when I see that and when I think about that, I think about our three statements we have. Come as you are, be changed, go change your world. And when I think about that, come as you are, you may be coming this morning imprisoned. There may be something that is holding you back. You've got from deception all the way to to the delusion, to, to the captivity, to the things that are condemning you, to even to the point where you're just, I can't do it. You are frozen and let somebody else dictate what you do. But you can be changed. You can be set free. That freedom comes in Jesus. And as that freedom comes in Jesus and you get to experience that Jesus, and you get to experience that freedom, guess what? You can go change your world. You can go turn your world upside down because you can tell people who are also imprisoned that there is a Jesus out there that loves them. There is a Jesus that can set them free. One of the other lines in the movie that I remember, it said, it's not a problem if you don't look up. And it's when Saul Guerrero is talking to Jen Urso about the evils that are in the world. She said, as long as I keep looking at myself, as long as I don't look up, I can make it in this world. That's not what we're here for. We're supposed to look up, look around, see the evils, and go turn that world upside down. It starts with us understanding that Jesus has set you free. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for who you are and what you do. And thank you for the love that you've given us. And thank you that you've saved us from ourselves. We are people who are easily tied up in ourselves. Thank you for saving us from that. Help us to look outside of ourselves, though. Help us not to be deceived. To, to fall into the delusional teachings that, that will slowly cause us to drift from the freedom that we have in you to the bondage that we have in our self-thinking, in our self-view. It's so hard. It's a daily thing, God. 
you told us that every day that we wake up, we have to die to ourselves and take up our cross. That's a, that's a hard thing. But God, we know we have the power in you. We can't do it on our own, but we can do it because of you. We can do it because we're focusing on you. We can do it because we are in your word. We can do it because we're in your truth. God, I pray for those that are in prison right now. Maybe they're not in your word. Maybe they're struggling on a daily basis to even get out of bed, much less pick up your Bible. Your, your love letter to us to see what you'd have us to do, to focus on what you'd have us to do. I pray for them right now. I pray you give them strength. I pray for those who are in, in the middle of the world right now, and they, they have people all around them that are hurting and struggling. They may not look like it on the outside, but on the inside they're torn up. God, help us to share and turn their worlds upside down by sharing who you are and the freedom that comes in you. God, give us that power today through your Holy Spirit. Help us to lead this rebellion built on the hope that is you. To rebel against the thinking of this world, to rebel against the thinking that's in our minds and focus on you as our hope. Help us to stop carrying these prisons all around. We pray it in your name. Amen. I'm going to jump down here in the front and I would love to pray with you because even as I was doing this, I just thought about the stupid things that hold me down. The things I use to make excuses, the things that I use to say, well, God, I'm obviously not good enough because, and I fill in a blank that doesn't make any sense, but it makes enough sense to me to justify that thought. Maybe you have the same thing. I'm going to be down here in the front, and I would love to pray with you. If there's somebody else praying with me already, and you're like, well, I shouldn't go forward. No, that's not the case at all. I would ask you to find somebody that's near you. Maybe there's somebody that, that you could say, would you just pray with me? Maybe you can pray together. Maybe you're both struggling with the same thing. Maybe God has sent you close to each other on purpose. Maybe he's got this weird plan that he's trying to work out in your life. If that's the case, please do it. As we sing this last song, we focus on who Jesus is, that he is the truth, and that he is the life, and he's come to give us abundant life. I'll be down here in the front.